Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 2nd of July with me, Ian Welsh. A few days ago, I was delighted to be able to catch up with Samuel Lavalla, General Manager at Benzo Oil Palm Plantation in Ghana, who was a guest on an Innovation Forum and Accountability Framework Initiative webinar last year at the height of the first wave of the pandemic. We talked about how BOPP is working to ensure traceability and sustainability in its supply chains from both RSPO certified and uncertified sources and the processes necessary. And we discussed how the accountability framework, which has just reached its second anniversary, can help tackle these challenges. That's coming up, but first, some sustainable business news. Product eco-labelling schemes have had mixed success in the past, it is certainly fair to say, with consumer confusion as to what labels actually mean a major problem. A challenge has been when labels perhaps only cover one aspect of a product's impact, begging the question, what about everything else? That is the challenge accepted by a new food labelling scheme from non-profit Foundation Earth. Developed by a team at the University of Oxford and WWF, the labels cover all upstream value chain environmental impacts, including farming, processing, packaging and transportation. The products are graded based on carbon footprint, water use, water pollution generated and biodiversity loss. Carbon accounts for 49% of the grade, with the other aspects 17% each. And the grade is given as a letter alongside a traffic light system. The new labels will start appearing on some product lines later this year, with many big UK and EU-based brands supporting the scheme, including Nestle, Tyson, Costa Coffee, Sainsbury's and VT Rice. Foundation Earth hopes to roll the labels scheme out across Europe during 2022. Consumers are certainly ever more alert to accusations of corporate greenwashing in communications, particularly in environmentally sensitive regions of the planet. The Singapore-based Public Relations and Communications Association of Southeast Asia has announced the establishment of a working group to set standards on how companies communicate about sustainability. The group will be tasked with helping the PR industry give clients sound advice on environmental, social and governance issues and to avoid greenwashing. A WWF study published in March found that one in five Singapore consumers said they did not trust corporate messages on sustainability. So clearly there is some work to do. Recycled plastics, especially PET, are becoming increasingly part of many product ranges, but the problem remains that standard PET can only be recycled a limited number of times. A new process developed by biotech business Carbius aims to solve this by developing food-grade PET that can be made entirely using new endless recycling technology. The new solution uses naturally occurring enzymes to break down PET plastic into component parts which can be converted into new virgin-grade plastic. It allows recycling of more types of PET products than was previously possible, thus saving material from going to landfill or incineration. The technology can also be developed at an industrial scale. Already L'Oreal, PepsiCo, Nestle and Suntory are on board to have bottles made using the process. If it proves a success, then perhaps it is one of the solutions that will indeed help brands achieve 100% packaging recyclability. The Innovation Forum team is working on our autumn conference programme. On the 28th and 29th of September is the Future of Climate Action US event, focusing on how to tackle greenhouse gases in supply chains. Already signed up as speakers and panellists are senior representatives from Kellogg, Alaska Airlines, ABN Bev, PepsiCo, Oxfam America and many more. The new Future of Plastics event is on the 13th and 14th of October. We'll have two days of frank and open debate with leading brands on how to reach stretching targets. Panellists from Unilever, Iceland, Coca-Cola European Partners, The Body Shop and Ecover are among the experts already confirmed. And do save the date for Innovation Forum's flagship Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities Conference, which will be held this year from the 30th of November to the 2nd of December. Full details are being released over the coming weeks, but we're looking forward to once again bringing together all the relevant people to ensure we have three days of robust debate and discussion. 
And if you're quick, you can save £300 on conference passes if you register before the 2nd of July. A few days ago, I caught up with Samuel Lavalla, General Manager at Benzo Oil Palm Plantation in Ghana. We talked about traceability challenges and some of the tools that can really help make a difference. Perhaps we can start, if you could outline BOPP's operations in Ghana. BOPP is an oil palm plantation, a leading oil palm plantation business in Ghana. It commenced business in 1976 and was a subsidiary of Unilever. But fast forward, it is now a subsidiary of Wilma Africa, which is itself a subsidiary of Wilma International. We have a concession, a nucleus concession of 6,799 hectares, out of which we carved out 1,650 hectares to develop a smallholder scheme from which 438 farmers and households drawn from the communities around us are the beneficiaries. We got RSPO certified in 2014 and we actually certified both the nucleus and the scheme smallholder in tandem at the same time. Currently, we also process palm fruits that we buy from the catchment area within the landscape. Given that our own smallholder scheme and our nucleus are certified, our annual production, if we use last year as benchmark, it was just a little below 140,000 metric tons of FFB. And out of that, 70%, about 70% is certified. And we have 29, just 30% of the FFB we process, which is not coming from certified sources. It's coming from outgrowers within the central and the western regions of Ghana. And they are not certified. But I can assure you that because we are a certified company with core values in no deforestation, no exploitation, and no planting in peat, which are actually the core values and commitments of Wilma International of which we are a subsidiary, we ensure that these outgrowers, who are actually, most of them are not really, really committed to one particular off-taker, whoever gets to them first and is willing to pay one cent more, they give their fruits to that person. But there are a few that we have some kind of agreements with or memorandum of understanding, so they are more committed. And to that extent, our technical team give them advice so that they engage in practices that are sustainable, that are environmentally friendly. And so if you take another plantation, which is one of our outgrowers, the Golden Star Oil Palm Plantation, GISOP, they have competent managers who run the place. But there are some things that they don't have the competence and we help them to do. For instance, when it comes to fertilizer application, we start our fertilizer program by taking leaf samples. And then we go to do foliar analysis. And from the analysis, our agronomists sitting in Malaysia will give us the prescriptions as to what type of fertilizers and what quantities should be used. 
so that we don't just throw fertilizers as if doing shadow boxing. We are precise about what type of fertilizer, what quantities, so that we don't overdo things. So for them and a few others like them, we will take the samples. We have a team that have been trained to do the sampling. We take the samples, we treat the sample, the leaf samples, and ship that same to our lab in Indonesia. They will do the analysis and our agronomists will come back with the prescriptions and we share it with them. And indeed, when it comes to buying the fertilizer, we also buy bulk, including their requirements, and then give it to them. That is just one example of how even the 30%, which is not certified, there's a fair bit of it that we engage those farmers in practices that are basically sustainable and so that we ensure that in all, we ourselves are exhibiting the responsible producers that we are. Let's unpack some of that a little bit, please. As you say, you're a subsidiary of Wilmer International and a member of the RSPO. So let's think about your certified palm oil for now. How do the RSPO's principles and criteria help you ensure that the palm oil and palm oil products from your plantation is produced sustainably? Even before the advent of RSPO, Unilever had what's called the Unilever Sustainable Agriculture. If you look at the principles and criteria of RSBO as they are now, you can see that they were developed from something like the Unilever Sustainable Agriculture. You probably know that the first executive secretary of the RSBO was in the, from the research department of Unilever plantations in those days. So yes, the history of this company is that we used to practicing sustainable agriculture. When RSPO became the in thing, it was not too difficult at all for us to meet the standards of RSPO certification. It was not a very big departure from what was our practice, but I must also agree that under the certification where you are subject to annual surveillance audits, it then puts you on your toes so that lifts or elevates the demands to another level. And again, this makes it more formal and the audits are done by third party independent auditors, unlike the sustainable agriculture that we're practicing where audits were done by internal people. So definitely that is the difference. But I can say that being RSPO certified actually puts our company in a place where we have a lot of respect from our growers and from stakeholders. And also it leads to what I call social license. So we have a fair bit of social license from stakeholders and outgrowers all around. You mentioned that 30% of the palm oil that you process is not RSPO certified. I understand you also use a accountability framework initiative to help ensure sustainability in this part of your supply chain. So what are the processes you've followed and who are the partners that have helped you? I would say that the accountability framework is still evolving. Our site was one of the sites that was used to do the proof of concept. And then also the fact that we are RSPO certified already did not make the accountability framework like something very new and different. It's also another dimension. 
The thing about the accountability framework, which we think makes it different from the RSPO, is that it is not a requirement for certification. To that extent, it makes it different from RSPO. But yes, we have done quite a bit with uh, the accountability framework. And already, if you look at the RSPO requirements, traceability is a key issue that has been evolving. So we had already started mapping out and getting the details, the coordinate, the geolocation coordinates of the farmers that are involved with the non-certified part of our FFV, which we process. So that is still work in progress, where certifying the farmers is going to be far-fetched. I think the accountability framework is what could provide a certain standard that we use to bridge that gap. How have your non-RSPO certified suppliers welcomed the use of the Accountability Framework Initiative and its various tools and methodologies to help ensure their own businesses' sustainability? If you know the category of farmers who are in that non-certified space, they are small, mostly, and their living standard is quite low. So for them, they live one day at a time. If you want them to do any additional work or make additional input to their production process, and the same is going to come with additional cost, then you must also show them a substantial additional benefit before they can accept it. If what you are bringing is going to be more exome in a space where there is competition, and there are other buyers who are not going to make such demands of them, they will probably turn to the other buyers and sell their fruits so that they have their peace. So for them, what is critical is how they get their daily bread and stuff like that. That then places an onerous responsibility on us, the off-taker, to go the extra mile to get them subscribing to any other framework or even the EFI for that matter. So yes, they will be receptive to it, but there is a condition. The condition is that they must see clear benefits that accrue to them directly in terms of the money they get for the fruits they produce. As for the wider benefit of environmental protection and climate change, it doesn't come very directly to them. And so that is an area that if you want to sell it to them, then it shouldn't come at additional cost to them. If it does, they should also be able to see that they also are getting additional benefits, which more than outweighs the additional cost and the additional trouble in goods that they have to take to be able to meet the standards of a framework such as the AFI. Is that the principal challenge of engaging with such smallholder farmers? Yes, it is, especially the small farmers. Their scale is not very big. If you take every farmer, and some of them are not just doing oil palm, they are doing mixed cropping. They have some other food crops here and there, and they have sometimes a few palm trees to, let's say, one hectare and stuff like that. So for them, if you want them to concentrate on oil palm and do some extra work, you must be convincing enough. Do you agree that ultimately there is no one solution to engaging and developing sustainability in complex supply chains? 
in dealing with, in fact, with these complex challenges and that businesses such as yours should really make use of all the tools at their disposal, the AFI, as well as everything else. Yes, I do agree that there's no one solution to all of this. If you look at RSPO, it comes with certification. And so with these small farmers who are scattered over a radius of, let's say, 100 kilometers, getting them certified can be very daunting. So for some of them, RSPO is not the best solution. And so AFI might be the better option to use in getting them to do things in a manner that is sustainable. However, it is also worth noting that where you have a multiplicity of frameworks and solutions, that also tends to become problematic for the implementing mill or company. So as much as possible, and some of it tends to be a duplication, actually. And sometimes it becomes a lot of work for, let's say, a company like Bob. I guess that's somewhere where the AFI wins in because it is purposely designed to bring together in one single place all best practice. And, and as you say, it's not a certification itself, but it's just designed to identify and develop best practice and eliminate the initiative fatigue. What's the future for BOPP then? What are you looking at over the next five years? Um, for BOPP, we continue to uphold our values of sustainability. We have embarked on a journey or a roadmap to see how far we can go. As I told you, we have about 70% of our FFB that is certified. We will work progressively to increase the certified component. I'm not going to be able to give a target today, but certainly we will be working towards increasing our certified FFV component to more than the 70% that we have. And the part that we may not find probable certifying, we will still progress with every means that we have, at least to ensure that they are traceable and that they are adopting sustainable practices that will meet our objectives of being and remaining a responsible producer um, that is acceptable by the standards that the industry is setting and evolving with. Well, it's been fascinating to hear a little bit more about your operations and how you're engaging with your suppliers and your RSPO certified suppliers and your others and the use of the accountability framework to engage with them. So for now, Samuel Avala from Benzo Oil Palm Plantation. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Regular listeners may recall that Innovation Forum has been following the progress of the Accountability Framework Initiative, which has just reached its second anniversary, and the interview with Samuel Avala will form part of a special podcast to mark this, so look out for that in the coming weeks. But that's all for this week. Don't forget to go to the Innovation Forum website for all the usual analysis and podcasts, and to take advantage of the launch discount for the Sustainable Landscapes Conference coming up later in the year. But that's it for now. I've been Ian Welsh, and please note there won't be a podcast next week, so until next time, goodbye.